listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. We're dealing with a very, very important subject today. You might have seen me on uh, Instagram or Facebook on stories on the way over. Um, I'm going to be talking about three non-negotiable beliefs that you must hold as a Christian. You must hold these beliefs. And I've been surprised to find that in 2021, as the years have gone on, as people have gotten more liberal in their mindset or their thinking, I'm not talking about politically, I'm talking about they held liberal beliefs about Christianity, not conservative Christianity. Um, a postmodern society where everything seems to be relative. Um, I'm blown away that Christians have surrendered their position on these three beliefs. And I can't stress, that's why I'm doing this broadcast today. I can't stress enough how vitally important these three are. And uh, we were trying to think over before we started the broadcast, how we really wanted to say this today. Um, We know that the devil doesn't want you to believe these things, but I thought the most basic way to say it would be best, you know, these are truly non-negotiable beliefs that I'm encouraging you as the victory tribe, don't ever be soft. Don't ever be soft on these beliefs. Don't ever uh, let you know, um, allow your, lose ground, I would say. Don't ever lose ground on these three belief systems. And we're going to, we're going to talk about it today. And we're going to, I'm going to give you biblical backing for all three of these. You need to be very strong. And when I, if I were to just say the three, you'd say, well, that seems simplistic. That seems elementary. But here's the thing is that in the generation we live People don't look at these anymore as elementary. They don't look at them and just automatically accept them as true, which is why all the more you and I have to know why we believe what we believe and ultimately know what we believe. But it's not enough to just believe something because you've heard it from someone else or because your church teaches it or because you heard a preacher preach it. You've got to know it's true and why it's true from the Bible. You know, that's the reason we launched Miracle Word University is we're teaching the doctrines of scripture from a Pentecostal perspective. You can get it. You can get, go over there. If you've never even heard that we have those online courses, we'll put it up on the screen right now. And you can see that there's a website you can go to miraclewordu.com where we have all of these hours and hours of teaching, very affordable, but we're doing that so that you don't just know what you believe, you know why you believe it. And that's why we're covering the basic topics of faith and Holy Spirit and prayer and prosperity and, you know, uh, divine healing. We want you to know why you believe what you believe. And so today I'm going to give you three. I want you to write them down. I want you to mark these scriptures. I want you to take notes because these need to be implanted in your heart. They need to be implanted in your heart. Uh, and you should never budge on these three things. This is orthodoxy. This is the generally accepted uh, theology of the Christian. And I'm blown away because there's people 
in our generation that are saying, well, you know, maybe that's not true. Maybe it's, you know, you can't negotiate these. And that's why we titled it the way we did. So I'm going to give you three. We're going to break them down. I'm going to have you put the uh, different beliefs in the comments. And then as we go through scripture after scripture, I want you to mark them down and know what we're saying. So let me, uh, let's start with, with this. Um, go with me to first Peter. Uh, this is a verse that I like to refer to before we teach something like this, because it shows you why it's so important. Cause you'll always have that one person that'll say, well, brother, you know, uh, does it really matter what we believe as long as we believe that, you know, that as long as we're Christians? Yes. It, it not only matters, not only matters what we believe, it matters that you can explain it to others. Let me break that down again. It doesn't only matter what you believe. It matters that you can explain it to others. We're commanded to be able to, if you didn't know that. And uh, I'll read you this verse of scripture. And uh, I don't know why it's not highlighted in this Bible. I thought it was, should be highlighted in everybody's Bible. There it is. Now it is. First Peter three fifteen. This is the apologist's headquarters. You ready for this? But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for a reason, for the hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Don't do it the Facebook comments way. Do it with gentleness and respect. But what are we supposed to be prepared to do? Make a defense for, to anyone who asks us for the reason for the hope that's in us. So when pe people want to know why we believe what we believe, according to scripture, we should be prepared or, or be readily available to make a defense. I can defend what I believe from the Bible. You say, well, why do you believe in divine healing? Well, come, let me show it to you in the, in the word of God. Why I believe that God's plan for his children is healing and health. Well, why do you believe, you know, and you go through the, the why we believes, which once again is why we're doing miracle word you. Well, why do you believe in a, in a pre-tribulation rapture? Well, let me show you from the scripture why I believe that and what, what stance I take on that. Well, why do you believe in miracles, signs and wonders today? Well, let me show you from the Bible. You've got to be ready you got to be ready to make a defense, which is why I do broadcasts like this for you, because especially with these extremely important subjects, you've got to know where you stand and you've got to know why you believe what you believe, right? So I want you to see this now. The first belief that we need to hold strongly and never budge on is the fact that the Bible is God's inspired and inerrant word. I'm going to say that again. The Bible is God's inspired and inerrant word. It's inspired by God and there's no error in it. So put that in. Number one, the first belief we have to hold as Christians is that the Bible is God's inspired and inerrant word. Very, very important that you hold that belief system. See, because if we don't have a standard, see here, here's the real problem with people not believing this. If we don't have a standard of belief, 
then every other thing that is said is all relative, right? If there is no absolute truth, then what we do is we give in to a postmodern thought process or society, which is the thought process of relative truth. I'm sure you've come across this. Uh, maybe you haven't, but I'm, I, I think you probably have heard people say things like, well, you know, that's true for you, you know, but it's not true for me. Have you ever heard anybody talk like that? Have you ever heard that kind of uh, thinking? Well, you know, I know Christianity is good for you. It's true for you, but it's not really my thing. It's not true for me. You know, the Bible might be a good book for you to live from and believe from. That's your truth, but that's not my truth. Have you ever heard somebody say it's not my truth? As though truth is relative. Truth is not relative. Truth is absolute. Amen. Truth is absolute. And if we don't, now see, here's why this is so vital now. If we don't hold or have a standard of absolute truth, listen to me, even sinners believe what, no matter what they say, even sinners believe in absolute truth in most areas, right? Because If you don't have absolute truth, then your society completely falls apart, right? So the average person believes, I mean, like every, I would say everybody, unless you have a mental problem, like, I mean, a a real mental problem, like, like you're like a sociopath or a, a psychopath. Everybody believes that murdering people is wrong. Murdering people is wrong. I think all of society around the world agrees, unless you are a sociopath, psychopath, or you have a demon spirit in you, that murdering people is wrong. Okay, well, that's an absolute truth. People believe rape is wrong, absolutely, across the board. It's believed in every culture. It's punished more harshly in some cultures than others, but everybody believes across the board that rape is wrong. And so these are absolute truths because, uh, if they didn't believe it was wrong, people would just do it in broad daylight. They would do it with no remorse. You know, that's, that's just my truth. You know, I'm a rapist and I, and I don't, you know, that's how I live. I'm not ashamed of it. I, I I believe in raping, you know, people, that's how people would live if they didn't believe there was absolute truth. Well, that's your truth, brother. You don't believe rape is right, but I think it's absolutely normal and fine. And, you know, I don't really care what people think about that. I don't you know, don't fault me for that. You know, we all have our vices. No, people believe across the board. So even sinners, remember this, even sinners believe in absolute truth. Nobody believes that it's right to steal from people uh, and just take other people's things. And it's right. You know, even people that steal know it's wrong, but they do it anyway. Right? So there is absolute truth. But see, what what's, what's the enemy has tried to do is try to ingrain this postmodernistic thought process of relative truth even into the church so that we think, well, you know, that's true for you. It's not true for me. Everybody has to make their own decisions on which they're going to obey and which they're going to do. And even outside the church, well, the Christianity is true for you. It's not true for me. And so what you need to understand is unless there's a standard of absolute truth, 
then, then there's, there is nothing uh, that we can do in conversation, in debate. I can't hold a belief. I can't hold anybody accountable, right? God wouldn't even be able to hold anybody, anybody accountable if there was no line of standard. So for example, one of the things we're being fought uh, back against very, very strongly in 2021 is the, we're getting a pushback, a very heavy pushback from the LGBTQ community, right? We know that's true, is that the homosexual community, the transgender community uh, is pushing back hard against Christianity and churches and Christian businesses, whatever else. And in some countries, you know, it became illegal to even preach against the sin of homosexuality. Well, uh, if there is no standard of what is true, then we can't ever, we wouldn't be able to look at that and say, well, you know, that's, that's a sin. The reason we know it's a sin and always will be a sin is because the Bible says that it's a sin. But see, if the Bible's not looked at as absolute truth, then we don't even look, or, or as God's inerrant inspired word, you know, blows my mind. They pulled, they've pulled Christians across America and it's not the majority that believes that the Bible is inerrant and inspired. It's a, it's a minority of the total population of believers. Some say, well, you know, I believe that it is inspired by God, but I believe it has errors in it. Then there's other Christians who say, well, I don't really believe it's inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, and I don't believe that it doesn't have errors. I just think it's a good book to live by. I think it's a good book to make your, you know, to, to um, you know, align your life with. And so it needs to be understood right off the bat, right off the bat, that the Bible is God's inspired and inerrant word. Now, I want you to go with me to, um, let's go to 2 Peter. Um, and we'll start there for, for this point anyway. 2 Peter chapter 1. Okay? Second Peter chapter one, the Bible itself claims to be God's inspired word. So here's the thing. You can't just say, well, it's a good book in the same way that you can't just say, uh, which we'll get to that. Uh, you can't just say Jesus was a good man you, with, and deny that he was the Messiah. You can't claim that he was a good man if you don't believe that he was the Messiah. And I'll explain that in the minute. But in the same way you can't do that, you can't uh, claim that the Bible is just a good book if you don't claim that it's the inspired inerrant word of God, because it claims to be. So either it's lying about that and it's not a good book because it contains lies and misrepresentations of what it is. Or it is God's inspired and errant word, and it claims to be true. So look with me, 2 Peter 1, and uh, let's read verses 16 through 21. Now listen to me very carefully here. These 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, these six verses of scripture should be highlighted, highlighted, highlighted in your Bible. They should all be underlined, mark it out, this section of scripture for you, because it's important, should be extremely marked up in your Bible. 
so that your eye always goes to it when you're going to those pages. Second Peter 1, 16 through 21, listen to this now. The apostle Peter, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Do you see that? We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So the first thing you need to know is the Bible was written by eyewitnesses. The Bible was written by eyewitnesses, not by somebody who told somebody who told somebody who told somebody who told somebody, and then 600 years later, they wrote it down. No, the Bible was written. The New Testament documents were written by eyewitnesses. In fact, Dr. Vaudi Balkum, uh, this is his quote. I keep it in the flyleaf of my Bible. He said, I choose to believe the Bible because it's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. And they report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claimed that their writings were divine rather than human in origin. He breaks that down from this, these verses I'm reading to you now. So number one, I know I'm praying for him too. He needs a, he needs a miracle. So understand this now. He said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Verse 17, for when he received honor and glory from God, the father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. So they were there for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention as to a light or a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now look at these last two verses. This is massive, massive. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So right there, the Bible in verse 20 is refuting the fact that men just sat down and wrote the Bible. It's refuting that men did not just sit down and choose what to write. I want you to put this in the comments. Every person that's watching men did not choose what went in the Bible. Put it in the comments. Men did not choose what went in the Bible. Very, very important. Men did not choose what went in the Bible. The Holy Ghost chose. The Holy Ghost chose. Again, if you're just logging on and haven't had a chance to share this, share it. Look what it says. No prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy. Verse 21. This is so big. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Do you see that? This is what the Bible's claiming about itself. 
No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, not one, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see that nobody chose what was in the Bible. Nobody chose what to write on papyrus. Nobody made their own decision. You know what I think would be good right here is if we talked about the love of God. No, they didn't. The Bible's very clear. The will of man never produced one scripture, not one verse, not one word. The will of man never produced it. However, they spoke from God as the Holy Spirit carried them along. So this entire Bible, everything in these pages was given to us by the Holy Spirit, not by men. Now, of course, men wrote down what the Holy Spirit said to them, but they didn't choose what they wrote down. That's the point I'm making. They wrote it down on papyrus or whatever else they were using, stone. There were multiple things that the Bible was written on throughout Old New Testament, but though they wrote it or chiseled it, they did not decide the words that went down. And the Bible's clear about that. The Holy Spirit carried them along and they wrote what was spoken from God. So the entire, and I want you to write it in the comments, the entire Bible is inspired by God. The entire Bible is inspired by God, not by men. And, uh, I'll put that up on social media later today, that full quote from Dr. Uh, Vadi Bauckham. He, um, he's got some health issues ha- happening right now, but he's the one I had you watch the sermon on, if you remember that, uh, which was uh, this, why I choose to believe the Bible. Some of you remember uh, that I put, played, I've even played it on the broadcast before. I've sent out the link for people to watch why I choose to believe the Bible. Powerful message on why the Bible is true. Power, it's not even long. I think he does it in less than 30 minutes. It's so powerful. Every Christian needs to watch it. And uh, so after we finish there with 2 Peter 1, now let's go to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, this is also extremely important. We're talking about belief number one. Every Christian cannot negotiate this belief. The Bible, the entirety of scripture is God's inspired and inerrant word. We have to, have to stand on that foundation. If we don't, everything becomes relative truth. Everything becomes somebody's own story. Everything becomes what's good for you, not for me. And it's not that way in the kingdom. God has a standard and it's his written word. Now we're in second Timothy chapter three, and I'm going to read to you, uh, verse 16, which also should be marked up underlined so that your eye is drawn to it. Verses 16 and 17, actually second Timothy three, 16 and 17. Now listen to this Paul writing to Timothy. All scripture. So notice that not just the new Testament, not just the old Testament, all scripture is breathed out by God. 
That's powerful right there. I'm going to give you an insight here um, into this original Greek language. This really, really blew my mind. By the way, and I've told you this before, this is the only place in all of the New Testament documents that this Greek word is used in, in the 16th verse of 2 Timothy 3. Only place. Now imagine how powerful that is. The Holy Spirit only chose to use this word one time in the whole New Testament, and he used it describing the word of God. And that word is theonustos. Theonustos. It actually means God breathed. And that's why the ESV translates it this way. Although we used to have the King James version, that's what we all grew up on if you grew up in church. And the King James says all scripture is inspired by God. But that's not what the original Greek manuscripts truly and literally say. They say all scripture is theonustos. That means all scripture is breathed out by God or God breathed. God breathed every word out of his mouth into the writer. He breathed every word out of his mouth into the writer. That's powerful, man. That's powerful. All scripture is breathed out by God. Now look at this. And is profitable. For what? For teaching. For reproof. Correction. And for training in righteousness. Now why is that? Verse 17. That the man of God, and actually that also includes the women, because the actual Greek word there means the messenger of God, not just the man. The actual Greek word there is so that the messenger of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's right, AJ. In the same way God breathed life into Adam, He breathed out his word, which is a life-giving force. And Jesus affirmed that in the gospel of John 6, 63. What did Jesus say? The words, the words, the words that I give you, they are spirit and they are life. It's a great point, AJ, because the same breath that brought Adam to life is the same breath that gave these words life. And Jesus said it, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Once again, that's John 6, 63. And so here, Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, all of scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, which means if this is God's word, and I need training in righteousness, where am I going to get my training? From the word? I want you to understand why this is important. That one of the main reasons that this first point I'm giving you today is so important is because uh, there's nothing that you can know about God, nothing that you can discover about God, his nature, his plan, outside of the written documents of the word of God. Nothing, nothing not by private revelation, not by looking at at, at nature, nothing, not by human wisdom. You can't know anything about God, not one thing outside of what's written in the Bible. That's why it's so vital that you know this. So if I need training in righteousness, where am I going to get it? Nowhere else except the word of God. 
It's the only place I can get it because it's the only place that there's any information about righteousness, how to live righteously, how to please the Lord, what he wants, his desires, and his agenda. It's only found in the written word of God. And that's, that, that also uh, brings you into a place of safety. And I'm going to explain that. How does it bring you into a place of safety? Because what if somebody came up to you with another word? And see, the apostles dealt with this. They said, if somebody comes to you preaching another gospel that we didn't preach, don't receive them. They said, I don't care if it's, they say they got it from an angel. I don't care how they say they got it. Don't receive something that's not in the word we gave you. And so it brings you into a place of safety. What if somebody tries to prophesy something to you that's not even uh, congruent with the word of God? You're safe because you can see that this is true and what they said is a lie. Brings you into a place of safety. The written word of God is the gold standard. Nothing can be known about God outside the word. And if we need training in righteousness, it can only come from the word. It's good for correction. It's good for correction. What does that mean? Your, your life, that, that's why the Bible teaches that the word of God is like a mirror. You know, you, let's say you were getting ready to go to work and you were getting dressed for work and you went and stood in front of your mirror. You didn't even realize that uh, men, that while you were shaving that morning um, and you had your, you, you already had your shirt and tie or something that a, a little dollop of shaving cream dropped down and got on your tie. Well, unless that you could look in a mirror and see, oh, there's shaving cream on my tie. You wouldn't even know something's wrong with you. Or let's say you had something behind your neck and it was still on your, well, you can't see that from your own eyes. So you, you don't even know, oh, there's, I left, I didn't wipe down my face with a towel. There's still some shaving cream back here. So unless I had a mirror in front of my face to inspect myself before I leave for work, I'd never know there's something wrong with me. And that's why the Bible is like a mirror. And it says that about itself. It's like a man beholding his face in a mirror. So what does it do? It lets me look at my life through the filter of the word. And if what I'm seeing here in my life doesn't line up with what I should be seeing in the mirror, I need to make changes and correct myself. That's why the Bible says that the word of God is profitable for correction. It gives you that gold standard that you can live by. If I don't match this, I need to change. This doesn't need to change. This doesn't need to change. Do you know that they're trying, even the LGBTQ community is trying to make the Bible say different things than it has said for thousands of years. Trying to change what the verses about homosexuality actually mean when they don't mean that. They mean what they say they mean. Well, I think if you could look at it in today's culture and understand, it's not written into, it wasn't written in today's culture. It was written in that culture where there was still homosexuality back then. They still dealt with that. Sodom and Gomorrah, they dealt with that sin of perversion, homosexuality in the cities. It, it wasn't any different. It wasn't any different than today. Same, they had tons of homosexuals. There's a massive LGBTQ community in Sodom and Gomorrah. Huge. Huge. It's not like they didn't have it back then. Well, it was actually talking about uh, monogamous relationships. No, it wasn't. Well, it's, it's okay. They, they were talking about men that were being promiscuous with other men. If, as long as you stay with one man and covenant with it. No, that's not what the Bible's teaching whatsoever. And so see what they're trying to do. They want to change this instead of changing themselves to match this. 
And that's what you do with the mirror. If I go, if I go look in the mirror and I don't like what I see in the mirror, I don't smash it, take it down, say, that's a wrong mirror. I don't like that mirror. We've got to get another one that doesn't show the, the problems on me. No, you don't do that. You look at the mirror and you know, well, the, what the mirror show me is accurate. And when I compare my life to this book, this book's accurate. And so if I don't uh, change my life to fit the book, then it's not the book that's wrong. It's me that's wrong. See, so it's profitable for correction, training. So why? So that the messenger of God can be complete, equipped for every good work. Can I say something to you? Now, this is so, I dealt with this the other day on, uh, when we were dealing with the gifts of the spirit. And of course, you know, we need the gifts of the spirit. Uh, the Holy ghost gave them to us. We need them. They should be functioning. Uh, we should be proficient in the gifts. The gifts of the spirit should be in manifestation in our churches. We should see the power of God moving. But let me say this. you got people running around from conference to conference, from revival to revival, trying to get a word, trying to get his prophecy, trying to get all this stuff. And the Bible teaches you that you can be complete, complete from the word that's written. I like what my father said. The people always come, you have a word for me? You have a word for me? You have a word for me? And finally he got sick of it. He said, yeah, got a whole book of them for you. It's called the Bible. Got a whole book of words. There's people that are always seeking a word, seeking a word, seeking a word. We did a whole broadcast on that. Go back and watch it. It's on the podcast as well. But understand something. The Bible teaches that the messenger of God can be complete through the training of the written scriptures. So I don't need a prophecy being given to my life. I don't need a personal prophecy to be complete. Don't need one. Now I will be blessed by one. I receive one. I don't despise prophecy. I don't forbid speaking in tongues. I don't quench the spirit. I welcome and seek after the move of the Holy Ghost, but it doesn't make me complete in my righteous training. That's what the written word of God does. According to scripture, equipped for every good work. Hallelujah. Not some good works, every good work, every good work, every good work. And so understand this. And I know I've taken a little bit more time on this, uh, than normal, but it's important because without this foundation, everything's relative. The word of God is inerrant and inspired, and it is from the mouth of God. God breathed as I taught you, Theonustos, Theonustos. It's breathed out of the mouth of God. It's the first belief you have to hold as a Christian, that the, that the Bible is God's inspired and inerrant word. Number two, I want you to understand this one and don't ever budge on this. Jesus is God. Put it in the comments. Number two, Jesus is God. I know that the Trinity is a hard thing for people, um, to catch and to, to capture. I know it is. People have a hard time understanding the Trinity. And by the way, when I say Jesus is God, I'm not Jesus only. I believe in the Trinity. I believe in God, the father, Jehovah. I believe in God, the son who is Jesus. Jesus. He is God as well. The Holy spirit third person of the Trinity. He's also God, but Jesus is God. There's this whole movement of people that want to deny the deity of Christ. They want to act like he was not God. He was a created being by God. Uh, 
that they want to try to teach that, you know, he came to the earth to do the will of God. He was a prophet of God, but he was a man. There's people that want to just say he was a man. God anointed him. God used him. He prophesied. He did miracles. He died for, but he was just a man that God anointed. They want to deny the fact that Jesus Christ is God. It's a foolish argument and it's really a heretical argument. It's a heretical argument to say that Jesus was not God is to deny the entirety of scripture. And it's a very, listen, you might say, well, that, that doesn't seem like a very deep thing. We should believe Jesus is God. Many people don't. I'm talking about Christians. <laughs> There's people that don't believe that Jesus will say, you know, son of God, he was, he was created by God. He's a created being. He was an anointed being, but he's not God. There's one God. You know, and then they push that on you. There's one God. Jesus is not God. Jehovah, the father is God. Elohim, which by the way, is also a plural. It, that, that's, that's not a, a singular word. It's a plural word. Elohim doesn't mean a God. It means gods. So people say, well, Jesus wasn't God. Well, let's, let's go first to the, 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 probably the best place you could ever look in scripture to disprove this foolishness. That's John one, one, the gospel of John chapter one, verse one. And let's read it. The Bible says in the beginning, was the word. Now when it says the word, it's talking about Jesus. The word is a reference to Jesus. Of course, you go down the passage in the, um, the, uh, first chapter of John, and you'll see that the Bible says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Talking about Jesus. And so it says in the beginning was the word. So if you even study commentaries on this, you look at what Greek scholars are pointing out that John is doing here. This is like a reference to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He uses the same language that Moses did in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the word. It is a reference to the beginning of time. The, the dateless past. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Do you see that? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Powerful. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. So God could not have created Jesus because the Bible just told us in the second verse, everything that was created was created through the word, Jesus. So if he was created, what was he created through himself? That doesn't make sense. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So the Bible calls him God in John one, the word was not only with God, he was God. Hallelujah. He was God. You go on further. Why do you think the, the Pharisees had such a problem with Jesus? Because he claimed to be God. You know, there's people that are so foolish. They're like, well, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. Yes, he did. <laughs> That's why they wanted to kill him. You realize that, don't you? There's literally, there are people, foolish people that don't read the Bible. Well, you know, we, we, we're trying to worship Jesus as God. But you know, in the Bible, he never claimed to be God. He did claim to be God on more than one occasion. 
John 10 30 is an example. John 10 30, the Bible says, Jesus said, I and the father are one, one and the same. And the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And he said, I've shown you many good works from the father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And they said, we're not stoning you for good works, but because of blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself to be God. So even they understood he was making himself out to be God. John 10 30, I and the father are one. We're one and the same. You're making yourself God. Yes. Cause I am God in the flesh. I'm law. I'm logos. I am the word. I am the word that was in the beginning with God. I am God. <laughs> I can't make it any plainer than this. I and the father are one. We're not separate. We're one, one God. Look at this. Even disciples recognized it. John 20, 28, John chapter 20 and verse 28, Thomas ascribes deity unto Jesus himself when he sees him. Amen. After his resurrection, you remember that Thomas wouldn't believe that he was raised from the dead. And unless I put my fingers in this, you know, look at this. Thomas ascribes deity to Jesus. Look what he says. Verse 27, I'll read first. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Huh. Look what Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. He's talking to the same person, Jesus, my Lord and my God uses two different words here to refer to the same man, your Lord and you are God. What did he say? Peter said, other people say that you're a prophet from the past. They say you're a holy man. You say you're a rabbi. Messiah. He said, who do you say that I am? I say that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Literally, Peter said, you are the Christos, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. He acknowledged it. Peter acknowledged it. He said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, Peter, but my father who's in heaven revealed, revealed this to you. And upon this rock, I say you are Petros, Peter. But upon this Petra, it's a different word. I will build my church. The revelation that I'm the Christ on that revelation, I will build my church. He is God. He said, if you understand and believe that thing, I will build my church on that fact that I'm the Christ. I'm the anointed one. I'm the Messiah. I am God in the flesh. Glory to God. And that's what Peter understood. That's what Thomas understood. That's what the disciples understood. That's what the early church understood. Jesus is God. Let me go further with it. Titus, go to Titus chapter two and verse 13. Listen to this. This I'll, I'll finish with this. One. I got many more, but I don't have time to read them all. But this couldn't be any plainer, more plain. Titus 2.13, listen to this one. Let me start reading with verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Now look at verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory 
of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at that. Look what Paul said to Titus. Paul even said the same thing. And he said it multiple times. I'm not going to go to all of them. But Titus 2.13 could not be any more plain. We're waiting for the appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. He is God. He is Savior. He is Lord. Three different words used in the Greek language to uh, describe Jesus the Christ. He is Lord. He is Savior. He is God. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice this. The Bible doesn't teach anywhere. Remember this. The Bible doesn't teach anywhere that God, Jehovah, the Father, is coming back for the, in, at, at the rapture of the church. The Bible doesn't teach that God the Father is coming back. It doesn't teach that Jehovah is coming back. What does the Bible teach? That Jesus Christ, the Christ, is coming back. That's what Paul's talking about. He said, we're waiting for our blessed hope, Jesus Christ, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is God. He is God. Now, let me break something down that's very important. If you don't believe Jesus Christ is God, then it's impossible for any person on the earth to have ever been saved. Do you understand that? If you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, then there is no entrance into heaven. There is no way for anyone in history or present or future to have ever been saved from their sins. Why? Because it means that the Holy Spirit did not really impregnate Mary and that that was the seed of God in her womb, which means that when she had a baby, it was not a God man. It was not the Holy Spirit's seed birth in a, in a sinless body. This is important. So I want you to catch it. The gospel is wrecked if Jesus is not God. The gospel's wrecked because what it means is that Mary didn't truly have the Christ child in her womb and she didn't give birth to God in the flesh, which means that instead of him being a sinless individual, he was just like everybody else. All are born in sin and shapen in iniquity. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you put those three verses together, and if he was not the God child, then he was born in sin like everybody else. And here's the thing. If he was born in sin like everybody else, then he was unqualified to take the sins of the world upon himself. It took a sinless being to receive the sins or penalties of the world upon his own body on the cross. You see that? And so it doesn't matter that Jesus died on the cross if he was not God. Because he had no ability to take your sins for you, take my sins for me. And so if you don't believe, now see, now you can see, can't you, how demonic this thought is. Well, Jesus isn't God, he was just a good man. If he's a good man, we're all going to hell. We're all on our way to hell. If all he was was a prophet, if all he was was a good man, if all he was was a rabbi, if all he was was a miracle worker, then we're all going to hell because there was no remission of sins because he wasn't sinless to take our sins. Can you see now why it's so important to believe and understand that Jesus is God? He was born in a sinless state. 
this part of the gospel, born of a virgin, sinless state, lived a sinless life. See? And so the reason the devil fights so hard against this thought that Jesus is God is to wreck. He wants everybody to, he doesn't want salvation to be available to all men. And of course, people had to deal with this. You know, that's why, you know, they literally didn't want people saying that Jesus was alive after his resurrection. So they came up with a hoax that his body was stolen out of the tomb, you know, because if he's alive, then he's God. (laughs) You see, if he's alive, then what he said was true and their crucifixion was wrong. They didn't want that. So they started a hoax. They started fake news. You thought fake news started in the last uh, presidency. Fake news started 2000 years ago. There was fake news being reported back when Jesus was alive. And they said, no, he's not resurrected. Uh, Somebody stole his body out of the tomb. CNN reported it in 33 AD. (laughs) Fake news. Jesus is alive. He was resurrected from the dead. And so I want you to catch this. If you don't believe Jesus is God, there's no point in Christianity. And when people just try to say, well, you know, Jesus was just, you know, he was just a good man. He was just a good man. He was just a rabbi. He was a miracle worker. He was a prophet. The problem with that is you either have to believe that he was God or you have to believe he was a liar because he claimed to be God. He claimed to be God multiple times. And here's the other thing. If you bet, if you go back, you've probably read, um, you know, Lee Strobel, a case for Christ. And you come to the understanding, great, great breakdown of the thought process. It's he's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. The three L's that Lee Strobel broke down in a case for Christ. He's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. Well, what does that mean? Number one, he said he was God. He made himself one with God. So either he knew he really wasn't and lied about it. Okay, so that's the first option. Jesus knew he wasn't God, but still lied about it and said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Or number two, he was a lunatic. Jesus was crazy. He was just a nut and thought he was God, but he really wasn't because he was crazy. So that's the second option. And of course, the third, he actually was God. He actually was God. Can't be anything but those three. Can't be anything but those three. He was a liar, he was a lunatic, or he was the Lord. And we, of course, we believe and we can see proof through uh, even history that he was the Lord. And that's where we're going with number three. The third thing that you have to believe as a Christian, it's non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable. Is that Jesus was literally raised from the dead. You have to believe this fact. Jesus was literally raised from the dead. It's not some figurative thing that now he just lives, you know, his essence, you know, lives in all of us. It's not some kind of a, it's not some kind of a, a ethereal, you know, well, you know, he's just everywhere, you know, in his death, you know, it's not, it's not like he was Obi-Wan Kenobi and just passed into the force. You know, it's like his body was killed, but you know, he, he passed into the force. So he's just like, he can speak to us. He's everywhere. And just, no, he was bodily raised from the dead. You need to write that in number three. He was literally and bodily raised from the dead. Love you, Joe. 
He was literally and bodily raised from the dead. And the reason that's important is because um, you, you need to understand it's not like, well, like, you know, it, just his spirit uh, came back alive and, you know, he was like that first thing I was saying and like, like he was in the force, like he was just a spirit being. He wasn't a spirit being. He had his physical body back. You know how I know he proved it to his disciples. He sat down and ate food with them. He ate and digested food. He allowed Thomas, as I read to you a moment ago, to touch his body. He said, here, touch the nail scars in my hands, touch them. If he was a spirit being, first of all, they wouldn't have seen him. And second of all, they wouldn't have been able to touch him. He said, touch the nail scars in my hands, Thomas, take your hand, put it into the piercing in my side. He had a physical body. You know, that's why when they went back to the tomb to check it out, he was gone. It's like, oh yeah, he's still there, but you know, I feel his presence around here somewhere. No, his body, the grave clothes were folded up. The tomb was empty and they couldn't figure out. They've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. That was their testimony. The angel had to interrupt them and say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not dead. He's alive. Amen. His body got up. His body was resurrected in the same way that all of the Christians through the centuries bodies will be resurrected when he comes back at the rapture of the church. The dead in Christ will rise out of their graves. What's going to happen? Their spirits that went to heaven will be reunited with their bodies and their bodies will be glorified. Same thing that happened for him. He was resurrected and his spirit was reunited with his physical body, which was glorified. And he's alive. Now, see, there's a problem here if you don't believe he's alive. But by the way, his resurrection is a historical fact. We have uh, what we call documents from antiquity, historical documents. And I've, I've told you this on the broadcast more than once. There are more discovered documents from history for the New Testament than for any other work of antiquity. Any other work. No other book from history, no other writing has more extant copies than the New Testament writings. There's more parchments and fragments available to us today, over 6,000 of them. 6,000! I think the next closest one is like a thousand behind. And that's, those are the two that are the most. Everything else is far less, far less. We have over 6,000 of the New Testament alone. These are historical documents. That's why when I read you Dr. Vadi Bochum's um, quote at the beginning about why he chooses to believe the Bible, look how he starts it. I choose to believe the Bible because it's a reliable collection of historical documents. It is. Did you know that we have far less historical proof that Julius Caesar existed than Jesus? We have, <laughs> AJ's like on it, man. He's like saying things like right as I'm saying them. Must be in the spirit. You have to be if your last name's Bible. We have more historical documents that prove Jesus was alive than Julius Caesar and go on through George Washington. Go, go on through history. We have so many more documents from history that prove Jesus lived and talk about his ministry, his lordship, his messiahship, historical. And you know what's interesting? And I'm, gonna, I'm in 1 Corinthians 15. This is where we're going to finish today. 1 Corinthians 15. You have to believe 
that Jesus was resurrected from the dead bodily and that, that it wasn't like a metaphor and it wasn't some sort of a, you know, it, it actually happened as a historical event, which it did. And I'll give you a couple of ways we know that that's true from history. A few ways that we know that it's true from history. Let me read to you first, though, what Paul said to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15. The Bible says, I'll start with verse three. For I delivered to you, this is 1 Corinthians 15, three. I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. Then he appeared, listen to this, to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep or died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I'm least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now go down to verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? That was the Sadducees, by the way. The Sadducees denied any resurrection of the dead after death. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. You see that? If Jesus did not uh, physically rise from the dead, as was prophesied that he would, then there's no reason to preach and there's no reason to have faith. Christianity is destroyed. If Jesus didn't, was not raised from the dead, Christianity is destroyed. It all hinges upon that one thing, the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Look at this now. And here's how we know. I'm going to give now, I'm going to give you a couple of reasons. We know that he was raised from the dead as a historical fact. Number one, this writing from Paul, I'll tell you something funny real quick. Um, I was back when live streams were first starting. Some of you will remember that me and my cousin used to do a show together late at night called uh, Bedtime Prayers. It was done on, we started it on a platform called Meerkat and Meerkat died because of Twitter and Periscope, but there was another one that we did. I can't remember what the name of it was. It was a purple icon of the app, but we did bedtime prayers on that app and it was a live streaming app basically where we could call each other and then you guys could watch. Um, and I remember after I logged off one night, logging on to someone else's broadcast Oh, it was called Blab. That's what it was called. Um, and when I was on Blab even after we finished our program. And there was another dude that was doing a Blab live stream broadcast. And he was uh, a historian. He was an actual, um, he was a historian for documents of antiquity. And so uh, he, he gets this caller on his show. And the caller, I guess, is an atheist or whatever. 
And the guy that's doing the live stream is not a Christian. He's just, he's just like a, he's just a historian. And he goes, and this atheist calls in. He's like, yeah, how about these Christians? They're so stupid, huh? They believe that like, they believe these letters from Paul were actually written by Paul. I mean, they're dumb. Like, you know, they don't even know how foolish they are. And he's going off. This atheist is going off on the call about how dumb Christians are, that they believe that the letters we have were actually written by Paul, you know, all these thousands of years later, they don't know what they're talking about and all this. And this guy that's not even a Christian, he was just this story. He goes, well, I don't think there's any reason historically, or, uh, you know, he goes, um, there's no scholarly reason to, to even to doubt the authenticity of Paul's letters or to, to doubt the authorship of Paul's letters. He said, we have all this historical data of these letters written by Paul the apostle, many written in his own hand at the end. Uh, they were distributed throughout the churches. He said the, the grammar matches to the letters that he wrote, the way he talked, you know, all these different things. <laughs> this guy on the other line, like this, this, this atheist, like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> like didn't know what to say. This guy is not even a Christian. It's like, no, we don't have any reason to doubt that Paul's letters were written by Paul. It's a historical fact. We have these documents from antiquity. And Paul writes this about Jesus appearing to 500 people at one time. Now, once again, I'll make the point. I've heard even psychologists say this, that there's no uh, way that 500 people could have the same delusion at one time. This was an actual appearance of Christ. He showed himself. And then Paul's making that point as proof, by the way, you realize he's using this as proof. He said, Hey, many of you guys are still alive that saw the resurrected Jesus. So it's not, not, not like it's some hoax or that we're making this up. You saw him with your own eyes. He said, some of you have died, but many of you are still alive. Now we have all these letters that have been discovered through archeology span and we have these uh, manuscripts and papyri and all these from, from, from history that claim Jesus ra ra was risen from the dead. They claim it. They claim it. These people here saw it and they claim it. We don't have any, listen to me now, we don't have any documents from history denying that Jesus was raised from the dead. None of these people wrote letters and they could have because they were being persecuted for even saying it. Nobody wrote a letter and left it behind and said, you know, I know they said I was there and saw Jesus like the others. And, but we never really saw that. We were making that up. You know, that was all a hoax. Jesus never was raised from the dead. You know, we, they said, they said, Paul said, we saw him. We never actually, we don't have any of that. Not one document from history. Now you go further than that. It's not like that. They were just going around saying Jesus was back. They were being murdered for living for Christ. They were being murdered for saying he's alive. They were being murdered for saying that he got up from the tomb and it took 300 years. It's not like they're being murdered for like 30, 40 days and then it all died down. No, for 300 years, people are being murdered until the peace of the church. They're being killed in gruesome ways. I mean, all you need to do is pick up a copy of Fox's book of martyrs and read some of the ways they killed people, fed them to lions in the Colosseum in Rome, their families and them, fed them to wild animals, crucified them, cut them in half, beheaded them, burnt them alive. You know, all these different things for just living for Christ and saying that he's alive. 
And as AJ said, I'm not dying for a lie. I'm not dying for a lie. And neither would any of these people have died for a lie. If it was all a hoax, who's going to let somebody murder their children and their wife and themselves? Who's going to allow that to happen if it was a hoax, if it was a lie? Someone's just say, no, 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 we're, it's not true. It's not true. Don't kill us. I'll deny it. I'll deny it. He was not alive. We did not see him. None of them did that. None of them did that. They all, all of them were willing to die gruesome deaths for the fact that Jesus is alive. Now, I want you to stop and think about that for a minute. You can't put criminals in an interrogation room and separate them. What is the name of the book, please? Which book are we talking about? Fox's Book of Martyrs. Maybe you can put an Amazon link in there, uh, Tiff, for for those that are watching. Fox's Book of Martyrs. Um, To just, I mean, you read what happened to these people for saying that they believed Christ, that they would not renounce him. They would not deny his resurrection. They wouldn't deny, they wouldn't change religions. They would not be, uh, they would not be pulled out of Christianity. Here's a, uh, a link for you that want to get the book, Fox's book of martyrs. And it's, it's intense, but what are they saying? Jesus is alive and willing to die for it. You put two drug dealers in a, in a, two interrogation rooms and one of them's going to roll over on the other one on the lie they've told. And that's not, by the way, that's not for their death. That's just for them going to jail. <laughs> They're just going to jail and they'll roll over on each other. They'll, they'll give information on the other. Hey, will you cut me a deal if I cooperate? Hey, will you cut me a deal if I give you information on the, on the group? And they're willing to roll over for, for a lie all the time. And that's just for jail time. You think about people that we're talking, we're talking torture and death. We're talking torture and death. And they said this, I'll take the torture and death over denying Christ. Think about it. There's pastors that aren't even willing to go to jail for keeping their church open. Let alone if you were to die for believing in Christ. You think about how heavy for one thought, Jesus is alive. That's it. Jesus is alive. So here's how I can know. First of all, we don't just have the historical documents of all of the eyewitnesses, by the way, these are eyewitnesses. You think if somebody said, if somebody claimed that you murdered someone in broad daylight, if somebody made the claim to the police, he murdered somebody, she murdered somebody in broad daylight, If you've got 500 people that are willing to take the stand and say, uh, I was there too. I saw him murder that person. Let me tell you something. You ain't getting out of that trial. (laughs) Depending on what state you live in, it's either execution or multiple, multiple life in prison. Because you were at the mall and 500 people saw you kill somebody. And we've got 500 people that saw Jesus resurrected body. That's historical fact. There's no reason to doubt that they died for it. There's no reason to doubt them. 
What reason would you have to doubt somebody who's willing to be tortured and killed for the one thought that Jesus is alive? We can see these things are not made up. They're not made up. The persecution of the church is a historical fact. It's not something the church made up. Go back through history. Look at what was going on in the, in the first, second, third century before the peace of the church. They're being brutally murdered. And so these people stuck with it. And in a time, I want you to think of this, in a time when the church should have shrunk, should have stopped, should have been canceled, what did happen to the church? It blew up. It blew up around the world. <laughs> because you can't stop Jesus' church. He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Doesn't matter how hard you push back against the church. You stand too close to the gates of hell, you're going to get burned up. They tried to stop the Bible. It's still the best-selling book in history. They tried to burn Bibles. They tried to get rid of the Bible. They tried to take a, you can't stop the Bible because God already promised, I'll preserve my word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away, ever, ever. So I want you to hear this with me today, and this is vitally important. We're talking about, I'm making strong believers on this broadcast. Part of what we do, and I know that you attend churches, and I thank God for your pastors. Part of what the Lord's asked me to do is take the time, and I know that pastors appreciate it, because you don't always have the opportunity to teach these things on a Sunday morning service. It's like one pastor said to me, I had a pastor come to my house, good friend of mine. He said, you uh, and your broadcast, you are the greatest discipleship tool I have for my church people. He told me that. That made me feel good to know that it's helping the people of God. It's helping the body of Christ. He said, you guys are the greatest discipleship tool I have for my church. He said, a lot of my church members watch your broadcast every day. A lot of my church members. And you know, that's wisdom. For him to say that is wisdom because he knows his time is limited he can't do everything all the time. That's why the body of Christ works together. And one of the things we do through this broadcast is raise you up in levels of maturity. It's one of the reasons that, um, you know, the, the gifts of this, the God's gifts were set into the church for the perfecting of the saints. These kinds of things I'm teaching you are so vital to your strength in the kingdom. Because if you don't have these foundational things right, it's like trying to build a house with no foundation. And people fall away. Do you realize there was a dude, preacher's kid, okay? I'm going to give you uh, uh, this little story before I pray for you. There's a preacher's kid in a famous Christian band, Hawk Nelson. This went public, so I'm not telling any tales out of school. Um, Hawk Nelson, lead singer of Hawk Nelson. And I like the band. I used to listen to their music. Cool, cool songs. Preacher's kid. But literally left the faith recently, last year. He left the faith because he had questions that were not sufficiently answered about Christianity and about the Bible. Well, let me tell you something. First of all, he should have had the answers to those questions. His pastor will answer to God for not being able to answer his questions sufficiently. But how is it possible? This is, this is why I'm saying to you that if you're building your house with no foundation, then you're in danger. You're in danger. And Bonnie, we will pray in a moment. You're in danger of falling away if you're not solid in the faith. And these basic Bible principles have to be solid in your spirit from day one. 
I'm not claiming that there aren't hard things to understand in the Bible. There are. There's books written about it. But the Bible, it doesn't change the fact that the Bible is God's inspired and inerrant word. Inspired and inerrant word. That's number one from today. You have to believe that the scripture, the Bible, is God's inspired and inerrant word. Number two, you have to believe that Jesus is God. And we know, and I'll give you a little PS on this one, because here's where people say, well, if he was God, well, then how come there were things he didn't know? If God's all knowing, then how come there were things he didn't know when he was on the earth? You know, it's not for me to know these things or you. It's my father in heaven knows these things alone. I don't know them. Only he knows them. It's because Philippians chapter two tells us he emptied himself of his, some of his godlike qualities when he entered into a flesh body so that he could be the prototype man moving forward so that he could show us that he could be tempted in all points like we are and still overcome that he could live as a man and show us the way to live and give us the example so that we could be like him. See, it's not fair if he's God and, and, and it has no, not even has any issue doing it. He emptied himself. It's the kenosis of Christ, the kenosis of Christ. He emptied himself in the form of man thought it not robbery being equal with God, but he humbled himself even to the point of death, death on the cross. He emptied himself of some godlike qualities. He didn't know everything all the time as Jesus. But he was still God. He was still all God. Here's a conundrum. How, how can you be all God and all man at the same time? But Jesus was. He was all God and he was all man at the same time. Sometimes you can see the limitations of his man nature. He was hungry. He was tired. He was sleepy. See, God doesn't slumber nor sleep. God doesn't get hungry. He doesn't need to eat. You you understand? Those are mortal features. But we see Jesus hungry. We see him fasting and getting hungry. We see him sleepy. We see him sleeping. We see him resting. We see him, we see his flesh fighting back against him. Lord, if there's any other way for this cup to pass from before me, get it out. I don't want to go to the cross. That's his flesh. But yet not my will, but your will be done. So his flesh fought back against him. That's all his natural mortal. But then we see on the other hand that he's all God. Cleansed the leper, raised the dead, operated in the gifts of the spirit. All all of these things. He was all God and all man at the same time. There's Amy Ariola. Love you. Thanks for being on today. So I want you to see these things. Number one, you got to believe that the word is God's word inspired and errant. You got to believe that Jesus is God, number two. And number three, you have to believe that he was raised from the dead in bodily form. You have to, you have to. These are foundations of the Christian life that keep you strong in knowing I have a standard, I have a God and he is alive. And guess what? If he is, he's coming back soon. If he's alive, which he is, he's coming back soon. I want to pray for you today. Because God's anointed you to do great things. He's anointed you to accomplish hard things. He's anointed you to do what others said could not be done. We have the Holy Ghost. That same spirit that raised Christ up from the dead dwells in you. And he quickens your mortal body. Quickens you. Romans 8, 11. I want to pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every man, every woman that's watching and listening. 
I pray, Lord, that you'd strengthen them today. Would you continually, Lord, give us an overwhelming hunger to study your word. Give us an overwhelming hunger to study your word, to fill ourselves with the word of God. As we do, I ask you for your people today, for the Victory Tribe, open the eyes of their understanding and give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, let them see things they've never seen before in the mighty word of God. Set us on fire to do the work of the ministry. Let us become powerful, effective, impactful soul winners. We fill our churches with new believers. We thank you, Lord, that you're using us for your glory. Bless us. Lord, as we've crossed over into March, I pray whatever has tried to plague your people in the first quarter of this year, blow your breath from heaven today and blow it out of their way in Jesus' mighty name. I thank you. I give you praise and glory for it in Jesus' wonderful name. Don't let March come to an end without us being in position for promotion in Jesus' name. Let this first quarter of the year be a springboard into what you will do through us through the rest of the year. And let us, before March 31st, be in a position for promotion in Jesus' wonderful name. We thank you for it. We give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. If you believe it, somebody shout amen. Now, Father, I pray for Bonnie. Scroll back and give me that prayer request, would you, Tiff? Bonnie needs prayer for... Uh, I didn't see if it was her grandson or her son needs a miracle. And I want the Victory Tribe to join me in faith right now as we pray for Bonnie Benedict. Her grandson Joshua needs a miracle. He's got an inflamed pancreas with white spots and he's having an ultrasound today. I take authority over this attack of the enemy against his body. I rebuke it in Jesus' wonderful name. And I command it to go today by the power of God. Lord, take all the glory. Let it be a miracle that is proof of your power, your majesty. Take all the glory and all the praise for what you're doing in Joshua's body. In Jesus' wonderful name, we thank you. We give you glory and praise. Amen. Lord, for Hope's son as well, who's in treatment, touch him. Touch him in Jesus' mighty name. We thank you, Lord, and we give you praise. Amen. Listen, on this Wednesday, sow a seed by faith. There's the information on the screen. We've had people writing in. I want to partner with you. I want to partner with you. I want to partner with you. You're an answer to our prayers. And we say thank you. Yesterday, we had three more weeks of TV go out. And uh, we're touching the world now by the power of God. It's March, so we're launching in Africa and the UK. Uh, We're already in the Caribbean islands. Uh, Already in the US. We're already broadcasting from the Philippines and from Pakistan. And people are literally being touched by the gospel. And I want to encourage you to stand with us. We're not only uh, preaching around the world, we're feeding the hungry every day. You know that. We've increased. We're doing more than we've ever done. And you're a great part of it. We thank God for you. Carolyn and I thank God for you. And um, by the way, I forgot to tell you, Angela, you and your husband, that uh, we launched on Power of Faith Television in Jamaica. uh, And so you have the ability to watch us. Uh, Tiffany, you got the email from a Raquel that would tell us when, the, when it's been airing. Uh, if you could just take a quick look and see if you find it. But we are on Power of Faith TV, Angela. You and your husband can watch it right in Kingston 6. Um, every single week we're, we're live there through the ministry of Power of Faith and Dr. Delford Davis. 
uh, you can check it out. They're based, of course, they're based in Portmore, Power of Faith Ministries. Um, we're on on Monday, Tuesday at 6 p.m. and Wednesday at 10 a.m. Um, so Monday and Tuesday at 6 p.m. and Wednesday at 10 a.m. if you want to watch their Power of Faith Ministries. We love you guys. So here's how you can sow a seed today if you'd like to do it. MiracleWord.com has all of the ways you can sow. And of course, Cash App and Venmo are the same username, MWGive. Um, if you're on Twitter, Facebook, hashtag donates available. Um, you can use PayPal as well to sow a seed. Zelle is now finally set up for anybody that wants to um, do a transfer through Zelle. You use the email info at miracleword.com. Info at miracleword.com. Quetta Green needs a miracle. Uh, single mom, lost her job, needs a miracle. Father, I pray that you provide for her as she's faithful to obey your word. Open the windows of heaven, bless her family, bless her children, open the doors, give her a job. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you for it. Faith, we love you too. Appreciate you. Don't forget, listen. Look what we got. If you just logged on, it's the Easter box, the resurrection box, the Ishtar box <laughs> for your kids. Um, coming up, you got to make this order before March the 24th so that we can get it to you in time for your kids. If you want it without a t-shirt, it's $25 comes with the Miracle Word Kids water bottle, drawstring backpack, sunglasses, rubber bracelet, Easter crafts, candy, all kinds of stuff. Uh, and then, of course, you have a choice of a shirt. If you want to get it with the T-shirt, it's $45. Three shirts to choose from. It's available in the store right now, shop.miracleword.com. If you'd like to get them for your kids before Easter, uh, please, please, please get those orders in before the 24th of March so that we have time to ship it to you in time for Easter. And uh, don't forget, by the way, brand new um, Miracle Word Kids video and Bible study, downloadable Bible study today. It is Wednesday. Once again, every Wednesday we've got new videos. Every Wednesday there's new Bible studies. Alex and Maddie have done an awesome job on these. Um, they're wonderful. They're wonderful. So you can get it today at miraclewordkids.com. Uh, don't miss it. Matt, I would be happy to come to St. Pete for a revival. Uh, love you too. Thank you very much. If you'd like to, uh, try to get some dates together or something, um, it's at miracleword.com forward slash book miracleword.com Matt forward slash book. And it has the form that we need just keeps us organized. So we have all the info in one place, but I'm happy to do it. Would love to be a part of your church and, uh, and bless the people come hang out with y'all. Love you guys so much. Listen, we, we do want to see you in person. Um, and so if you have any way to be a part of these live meetings, we're getting ready to go to Crawfordsville, uh, Indiana. Uh, we're getting ready to go to uh, Lakeside Assembly of God in um, Detroit, Michigan area. And so all of these meetings are live on the website and you can see the dates, you can see the times, you can see the addresses. We would love, love, love to see you in person. All the people that drove in to see us in Allentown and Bethlehem, it was great to see you guys and meet new people, um, uh, Cass and Jess and others that we met, uh, some of we we met for the first time. Really, really appreciate that. Listen, we love you guys so much. I'll be back again tomorrow morning, 10.30 a.m. 
You don't want to miss it. Have a great and a blessed day. Thanks to everybody that's sewing. Oh, I forgot to tell you. If you are sewing, uh, we want to bless you. Uh, we've got a brand new book for the month of March that we want to send to you. And it's a great, great book. Uh, the Will of God in Prayer by Kenneth E. Hagan. Want to uh, get you a copy of this. So everybody that's partnering with us, um, we're going to send you The Will of God in Prayer. This is an amazing, amazing book on the subject of prayer. Brother Hagan taught on prayer so extensively for so many years and was a great example of seeing prayers answered. And then also, listen, for those of you, and I'm going to pull one over because I got one here on the desk. For those of you that are sewing $1,000 or more, I just sent out a bunch of these this morning. I signed a bunch of them. Uh, for those of you that are partnering with us at $1,000 or more, um, I think we had six or seven went out this morning uh, of these. And I sign them to you. But this is, as we're doing these kind of studies like we're doing today, these right here are a tool you want to have in front of you. Um, I think there's over 10,000 notes, commentary notes, uh, in these Bibles. Um, hundreds of maps for reference. Uh, they have uh, profiles on Bible characters to give you background on them. So much content in one study Bible. It's the Life Application Study Bible in a nice genuine leather. And so that's our gift to you as well for those that are partnering at $1,000 or more. Don't forget, my brand new book on fasting is available and it's live wherever you are in the world. You can get the ebook through Apple Books or Kindle or in your territory on amazon.com. If you're in the US, you can always get it at shop.miracleword.com uh, or Amazon. And uh, this book will bless you, a complete guide to biblical fasting. And um, this needed to be written. I'm so glad we were able to get it before the fast this year, but grab it. This will open your eyes and show you things you did not know about fasting and prayer that'll help you to be blessed as you do it. I love you. Have a great day. I'll see you in the morning. Be blessed. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.